Hi, everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Hey, folks, welcome back to RX Rounds. We're continuing our conversation about heart failure with Dr. Steve Antoine, and this episode focuses on management of heart failure and some of the myths associated with this disease. So let's say someone has already been diagnosed with heart failure. What are some of the management options? So heart failure management is very complex, and it's 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 um it's something that even uh, you know as advanced we are as a medical and the medical community we still struggle with because it's so complex. Uh, more recently, the American College of Cardiology have tried to uh, reduce some of the complexity, and for example, um, you know there are just symptom management. You know, because you have patients that, you know, come to the hospital with a lot of, you know, heart failure symptoms. So how we reduce hospital admissions and patient symptom in general. And that tend to be um, around managing the fluid, uh, fluid management. And then there's uh, addressing mortality. You know, you can have a good fluid management, but then you still die of having heart failure uh, just because it's a progressive disease. So then there's a specific medication that just uh, prolong your life or improve mortality, um, uh, you know, with, with heart failure. So you can, so then, so then the American College of Cardiology have figured out, you know, we, we gotta sep- we need to separate those two. We have to separate what prolongs life, so what has mortality benefits, or what are just symptom management, so which tend to be your fluid management, water pills and things like that. So so your cardiologist, if you have heart failure, should put you on regimens, um, medication, um, some of which involve uh, just prolonging your life. So it, it has nothing to do with your symptoms. They just um, the studies have shown that if you take these medications, uh, you, 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 there are mortality benefits associated with it, although you may not feel um, the, any relief. And then there, the, the other medication would just um, affect, your, affect your, your daily life, and that tend to be uh, your fluid management, so you'll be on water pills. Um, you know, if you have leg swelling, if you're really short of breath, um, you know, how to get rid of that water. And there's a whole flu of um, water pill or diuretics that uh, address that, the fluid management. So you kind of have to separate um, the different um, way you're, you're, you're addressing the heart failure. And what about like maybe your diet changes, maybe a low salt diet or some exercise regimens, things like that. So, so the diet tends to be about around fluid management. It's all with heart failure. Uh, it's all fluid. Uh, you know, our, our diet is very important to us. It's sort of who we are. We, we, we cook, we, we, we feed each other. We like food. This is our culture. So, I try not to take it away from my patients because I realize how important it is. I try to make it more of a partnership. 
and I'll ask my patients, uh, you know, a way that I can monitor your salt is your blood pressure uh, or your, you know, the amount of fluid you have on board. So I'll say, hey, your blood pressure is elevated. You, you know, you must be taking on a lot of salt. Uh, what do you think we should do um, to address it? You know, we can, uh, how are you doing in terms of salt at home? Is that something you feel like you can do better? Or you think I should increase the medication that get rid of salt, you know, your water, your, your diuretics? Make it more like a partnership. We're a very stubborn uh, type and we're very proudful. So we don't like when people talk down on us and say, stop taking salt. Um, so it's more so a partnership. What can we do? If you have difficulty with the salt, then maybe I, I'll have to put you on more medication. What do you think? And you kind of make it a, a discussion. And, and, when, and, and your patient... I think I found that especially the Caribbean patients, they tend to respond better to that approach of making it a partnership and a discussion because you realize how important the, 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 the food and the diet and the salt composition is. So we sort of leave it up to them a little bit um, to make that decision. So you mentioned earlier that you see more advanced heart failure patients. Tell us what those patients may look like. How do they present? Sure. So earlier I talked about the stages of heart failure. And, uh, you know, there's four stages, stage A, B, C, and D. Uh, stage A is just you have risk factors for heart failure. Stage B is you have a structural problem that can cause heart failure, but you haven't had much symptoms. Um, stage C is you have symptoms of heart failure. Uh, and, and stage D is you have advanced heart failure. Stage A is typically managed by your, your primary care doctor, your internist. You just have risk factors and they just have to address these risk factors, whether it's, you know, you have hypertension, you have diabetes. So you have something that can cause heart failure down the line and we have to prevent you from getting to heart failure. So stage A. Stage B is you do have... Uh, a structural issue that can cause heart failure, but although you don't have the symptoms of heart failure yet, you know, if you had a minor heart attack or you had an echo that, uh, an ultrasound of your heart, an echocardiogram that showed that you have, you know, a decreased function of your heart um, uh, or whatever the structural problem is, there is a problem. Uh, but you don't have symptoms yet. And those are patients that your primary care starts to put referral for you to see a cardiologist. Hey, such and such, I've noticed there's a problem with your heart. I don't know if it's a big deal, but I'm going to refer you to your cardiologist. Those are your stage B uh, heart failure patients. And stage C is they have symptoms of heart failure, whether they had the heart attack and they have a big muscle, big chunk of their heart muscle that's not pumping. Uh, therefore, they have the symptoms or their hypertensive cardiomyopathy patient um, and their muscles, their heart muscles are very thick and it's not able to relax. So then they have a lot of leg swelling. Uh, whatever the process is, they have symptoms of heart failure. And those patients tend, they tend to be managed by your, your general cardiologist and, and, they're, and uh, they're on the treatments that we talked about. Uh, and, uh, and that's stage C. And then stage D is your advanced heart failure. Um, those are patients that um, their heart failure has progressed to a point where they're not able to, 
you know, walk even more than two blocks. They're not able to do most of the activities that they used to do. Uh, they're pretty limited. Um, their functions are pretty limited to just walking around the house. Our patients tend to do a good job of noticing that they can't do something, so therefore they sort of not do that whatever they used to do and do something else and just so that they can go by. They usually walk three, four, five blocks and then they can't do it anymore. So then they start walking two blocks or so. So a lot of times, you know, your cardiologists have to um, be very diligent as to picking up the patients that are sliding into stage D. Um, also, a lot of the stage D patients, they get hospitalized uh, often. Uh, so recurrent admission to the hospital is a good, um, you know, good sign that you probably have slipped into a stage D or end-stage heart failure, um, or you're not tolerating the medication that you used to be on, uh, you know, because your blood pressure is way too low. The heart is so weak now that your blood pressure is affected. So there's a whole gimmick of symptoms and things that your cardiologist will look for. There are guidelines that they say, okay, this is time that this patient needs to be referred to the defense heart failure uh, cardiologist. And uh, so when I typically get these patients, they're usually referred by a cardiologist. Um, they're usually in a center that doesn't have uh, those advanced therapies. And we typically categorize them into three uh, main therapies. Um, two of them are surgical and one of them is medical. Moving on to our Mythbuster segment. Are there any myths associated with heart failure? Any myths? Um, I would probably say drinking water and heart failure is sort of the myth that's hard to tackle because everyone been told that you drink water. You have to drink a lot of water. Water is the way you flush your body and you know all your cells are made of water and even whether it's science or you know, uh, you know, tradition, whatever science you sort of follow, they all tend to tell you to drink water. Right. Whereas in heart failure, you don't want to drink too much water. Right. The fluid restrictions. It's kind of There's a hard to tell people. Yeah. And it's hard to to engrave this concept of restrict your water intake because everybody look at you like you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So. So I, I would say that if one myth in heart failure is the myth that, you know, water is good for you. And then heart failure just happens to be that one disease process where you don't want too much water. So you have to, uh, you know, have a good uh, fluid balance. It's all about fluid, really, when you have congestive heart failure. You know, can, earlier I talked about, you know, you have problem with, in heart failure in general, you have problem pumping blood forward, then you have problem receiving the blood. And most of the things that we deal with is the receiving, uh, the congestion that the heart failure uh, cause, the leg swelling, the shortness of breath. Um, even sometimes people would describe this difficulty laying flat, and that's because they have fluid in their lungs. So it's all a fluid balance. And, you know, later on when, you, when you talk about, you know, therapy, um, it's about, you know, water, uh, you know, peeing salt, diuretics is, you know, getting rid of fluid. So it really depends. Each patient's have the amount of fluid that they can take, uh, you know, the worse your heart failure, the less fluid you can take. But 
in general, about two liters of water um, a day is sort of, you know, where on average you want to be. A lot of people will be 1.5. And when you have really bad heart failure, I'd say a liter of water a day is what you're restricted to. Um, so that's one myth I would say is huge. It's uh, another myth. It's not really a myth. I thought it was very interesting. Um, you know, when I was in Haiti one time, I was doing uh, uh, a, a medical mission. I think I was a med student at the time. And there's a patient that was, that was describing what we call in the medical field orthopnea. Orthopnea is when you have difficulty laying flat. Um, you get shortness of breath lying flat, and that tends to be a sign um, uh, of uh, a symptom of heart failure. Um, you know, you lay flat, there's more congestion, the veins in your pulmonary system gets more engorged, and you have more fluid in the lungs when you lay flat, so you have to prop yourself up at night with pillows um, and, and, uh, to, in order to feel better. Some people have to s sleep in a recliner or sleep sitting up so that they get less of the, the symptom of orthopnea. Well, I have a patient, I had a patient during my medical mission described orthopnea as, uh, you know, in Haiti, there's a lot of, you know, superstition and, 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 and voodoo and things like that. And, and this oh, said, most of the islands. <laughs> this patient said that at nighttime, spirits used to come and get him. So, mm -hmm would have every time he falls asleep sleep the spirit would come and they would try to choke him in his in his sleep so he would have problems you know breathing because they would choke him and then so he'd have to wake up and and stay up as, as long as he's staying up he doesn't get the spirits leave him alone they're not choking him but every time he falls asleep and he he goes to sleep he's, he feels the spirit he asked him, what about if he sleeps sitting up? He said, actually, when I sleep sitting up, I don't feel it, the spirits. So as he's describing the symptoms, uh, signs and symptoms of orthopnea, he kind of linked it to spirits that come and get him at night. And I thought that was a pretty interesting um, way of looking at it. What about um, young people not being at risk of heart failure? Earlier, you talked about that genetic aspect. So there might be some sort of myth associated with young people not having it. Yeah, there's a, you know, a small uh, number uh, of, uh, you know, young patients who has a genetic mutation that predispose them um, to getting, you know, some form of a heart disease. There's a lot of them, uh, you know, the m most common ones being, disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That's when they ab they form abnormally large, big muscle. Uh, their heart muscle gets really big um, and, and they develop at a young, a very young age. So this is your typical, what you would hear as young athlete that were playing soccer and then they just dropped it in the middle of a game. Um, you know, we, we, I don't know what the prevalence is in the Caribbean, but it's in, uh, in the States, it's uh, whenever you hear a young kid drop dead and, you know, playing sports, it tends to be hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, and, and there are electrical problems that young kids get, you know, they, they, there's stuff called Brugada syndrome and 
also the, of uh, genetic mutation that cause issues in the electrical system of the heart. So the young kids certainly do get uh, affected, typically by genetic mutation, and it's very rare, um, though. So uh, as a kid, I wouldn't, because it's so rare that I wouldn't worry about it unless, um, unless you have a family history of someone dying young in, in, you know, in your family. My cousin died when he was 25. We don't know what happened to him. Things like that can raise the flag that you may have a genetic mutation, and that's when you probably should look into it. But otherwise, if you don't have anyone in your family that died at an early age and, and things like that, uh, I think kids should just you know, enjoy their youth. Gotcha. Heart failure is the impaired ability of the heart to fill and eject blood. The most common causes of heart failure occur as a result of damage from a heart attack or long-standing high blood pressure. This Clinical Pearl segment focuses on some management options for heart failure. When managing patients with congestive heart failure, medications are used either to reduce the progression of disease and decrease mortality or relieve symptoms. Treatments that reduce the progression of disease and decrease mortality include a class of medications known for its use in treating hypertension called ACE inhibitors. These drugs slow the process of the thickening of the heart muscle and usually end with the suffix pril. For example, lisinopril, captopril, ramipril. These should not be used in pregnant patients or those planning to become pregnant. They may cause cough and in very rare cases an emergency called angioedema, which can be identified by the swelling of the face, tongue, and neck. For patients unable to tolerate these medications, another class may have been prescribed, and these are called ARBs. These usually end with the suffix sartan, for example, candy sartan, low sartan, herbisartan. A more recent combination medication called Entresto was seen to reduce the risk of heart failure and death in some patients when used as an alternative to ACE inhibitors or ARBs previously mentioned. Another class of drugs called beta blockers reduce mortality by decreasing the strain on the heart while pumping. These end in LOL, lol, such as metoprolol or carvedilol. Diabetic patients should be cautious of these meds because they can mask the symptoms of low blood sugar. If you are on these medications and are diabetic, talk to your physician about the risk and be sure that you check your blood sugar values regularly. Research has shown that a combination medication called Bidil works well in reducing mortality in some black patients with heart failure as well. Moving on to treatments that can help relieve symptoms. Dr. Antoine mentioned a class of medications called diuretics. Some examples of this class include furosemide or Lasix, hydrochlorothiazide or HCTZ, and spironolactone. These meds are often referred to as water pills as they help remove fluid from the body that has caused congestion. They are therefore known to relieve symptoms such as shortness of breath, cough, orthopnea, problem sleeping, swelling of the feet, ankles, and legs. 
Digoxin, a medication used in a very specific group of heart failure patients, can increase the ability to do some exercise and improve the quality of life. Digoxin requires monitoring to ensure that it does not get to toxic levels. So if you are on this medication, make sure you follow up with your doctor to see if this drug reaches its appropriate levels. While all of these treatments are very helpful for patients diagnosed with heart failure, they should be coupled with lifestyle changes that will also slow the progression of heart failure and relieve symptoms. Some of these include reducing the amount of salt used in foods, quitting smoking, decreasing alcohol use, restricting fluid consumption to about 1.5 to 2 liters per day, and obtaining regular vaccines, especially the pneumococcal vaccine. Also, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about any over-the-counter medications you may consider as some of these cold medicines can affect the heart. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Steve Antoine, for joining us on this two-part series on heart failure. This podcast represents the professional opinion of RX Rounds and its wellness partners. Our content is created for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for direct personal and professional medical care or diagnosis. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding your medical needs. If you enjoyed this episode, visit RX Rounds on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you next rounds on RX Rounds.